Welcome to the Awake Church Podcast. At Awake, our mission is simple. Know God, take action. We pray this podcast will help you on that journey. I want to talk about repurposing today. This came to me actually uh, sometime in the past few days. And uh, last night at midnight, I was up throwing this thing together, man. I was really like, whoa, boy, we got to speak tomorrow. You know, I need to get this together. And But it, this thing came to my mind, and I was trying to work it out in relationship. I don't think I've ever preached on this before, but in relationship to awake, you know, that I've been involved in for a while. And it's so beautiful seeing this. When I came in yesterday and walked around the building, part of me was like struggling with envy and things like that, you know, and, and quickly the fruit of the Spirit started popping up in my life, and I... I was kind and over, overjoyed and everything. But at first it was like, man, 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 this is amazing. It's amazing, you know. And so I, I, I asked Matt about it. I said, well, what, what was this for? Because I did come here a couple years ago when you were considering buying it, or I forget, forget if we made an offer or something like that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was not in the shape it is now. Let's put it that way. I would just be as kind as possible here. But it was not in in great shape, and it was a, f- a former grocery store. Like, uh, where, where am I right now? Uh, did you remember that grocery store? Is this like the fruit section over here or something? Oh, what's produce? Is this produce? The platform's produce? Okay, well, let's produce some things here. And, uh, and I, I always, always, you know, I'm a bit prophetic. I probably, to a fault, uh, in the sense that I see things everywhere, I sense things, I interpret things that probably do not need interpretation. But I just, I, I you know, so I'm thinking a grocery store, grocery, we, we're repurposing a grocery store, we're repurposing an entire plaza, strip mall, whatever you want to call this thing. I mean, it's, it's, it's a declaration to the community around us. I told that to Matt yesterday, I said, Matt, people are driving by here saying, what is that now? I'd love to see the inside of it. So they kind of drive by, look in the windows a little bit. But, you know, we, we need to open the doors and say, come on in and see what God has done. Because get this, I think this building is preaching to you right now. This building is preaching to you and saying, look, for 30 years, I was a grocery store. And now, I'm the place where the Ark of the Covenant is. <laughs> I mean, that's repurposing. This grocery store, this building has got to be excited. If you could personify a building right now, it's like, I love the vibe. I love the vibe I got during that worship. I love the blood of Jesus Christ. This building has been born again. Let's thank the Lord for that. All of heaven rejoices. (laughs) And if you're religious like my refrigerator, you'll say something like, well, it's just a building. Well, would you prefer we have church outside? I mean, this is the south, but not that far south. It gets a little cold in the wintertime. Up in Cleveland, definitely we need a building, like 10 months out of the year. And uh, what, what did, did Jesus care about buildings? Like, no, of course not. He just went out and picked up some fishermen and picked up some tax collectors and said, come on, follow me. And they, they hiked around, you know, all over Jerusalem and did great things and and they believe it was up to 30 people were traveling with Jesus when he traveled. 
uh, you know, cooking meals and I got, doing the laundry. I don't know what they did, but, you know, they traveled around. And, and actually, it's fascinating about Jesus because he had to, uh, it's believed that the rabbi in the first century had to raise enough money in his lifetime by age 30 to support himself and an entire team in order to teach. So he would have been supporting 30 people. That means he had some means and uh, he didn't have a building. I mean, he did like the house in Bethany and he hung around there, you know, Martha and Mary and Lazarus, who he had to do some work on at one time and kind of helped him out a little bit. And Mary and Martha cooked food. Actually, Martha cooked the food. Mary just said his feet like, <sighs> and she got in trouble for that. But anyway, but Jesus saved her and said, you know, really, she did the better part. But anyway, that, that's their story, you know, so that's really kind of the building. But then Jesus gets into the city and he says, uh, we need a building. We need a building so we can celebrate the Passover. Go out there and you'll know where it is because this is like how Jesus gets buildings. Go out there and look for the guy carrying a pitcher of water and follow him. Shouldn't we call a realtor? He goes out there and sees a guy holding a pitcher of water, follows him, the guy's probably like, hey, you know. He goes upstairs and says, excuse me, my master needs a room. So he shows him this upper room that was furnished. It could hold probably a couple hundred people, definitely 120, probably a couple hundred people. And it kind of became, it seems in Scripture, there's a little bit of debate on this, like there is any time you talk about theological things, but it seems as if that became a bit of a base of operation. Because they went up there and they had a good time. Passover is a good time in the Jewish community. Passover is a celebration that we were once slaves and now we're free. We eat the body and blood of Jesus Christ, eat and drink the body and blood of Jesus Christ in celebration of the first Passover, which was Moses coming out of the promised land. And there was one more thing that needed to happen to get them out the door to twist Pharaoh's arm enough to get him to let them go is the angel of death swept over Egypt. And when he did, the firstborn in every house died if there was not blood on the doorpost of the house. A very prescribed manner in the way that they did that. And of course, later on, again, over the Passover season, Jesus becomes a Paschal lamb. It's his blood that was put, that is put over the, the very doorpost of your soul when you receive Jesus Christ in your life so that the angel of eternal death will pass over you and you will not be disturbed by that. You are free because of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's worth clapping about right there. Go ahead, God. Yeah. So Jesus celebrates. They're, they're high-fiving. They're enjoying life. This is great. They know what's coming. Jesus knows what's coming. The disciples do not. They think this is the entrance into an amazing kingdom. And actually, they were currently fighting for the role of who's going to sit by Jesus, which John already had. But who's going to sit at the right hand? Who's going to sit at the left hand in the new kingdom as we crush the Romans? Yeah. It didn't happen quite that way. And they got discouraged and went back to fishing. But meanwhile, Jesus needed a building. And so they got that building, and then later on, they used it again uh, in, in the place where they broke the bread before Jesus was arrested. Basically, what would be a Good Friday, 
They gathered together. Jesus reported that his betrayer was among them and that you need to go do what you need to do. And of course, it started this this calculating, accelerating event of twisted misunderstanding and Jesus ends up on the cross and dies. But before he ascends into heaven, because he did rise from the grave, and when he ascends into heaven, he says, uh, tarry in Jerusalem till you'll be endued with power. He says, and uh, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. And it was a promise of the release of the Holy Spirit. It was confusing to them about all this, but hey, you know, that the angel ascended, and, or the, Jesus ascended, and the angel said, dudes, don't just stand here looking. Get at it. And they turned around and went down to Jerusalem and started waiting for, for 10 days. They waited. I've always wondered what happened, but where they waited was, was in the upper room. So they had a building, and out of that building that they used, that they rented, that was fully furnished, it was like a position where they had community, they developed relationships, they celebrated the feasts and festivals together, and ultimately, it was the place where they were gathered together for 10 days, and to their surprise, suddenly, a mighty wind comes upon the whole part of town. I imagine I imagine it in my mind that it came through, and you know how there's that air pressure when when winds increase, you know, and you can feel the windows rattling or the door, you know, shaking or whatever, you know, when those real strong winds come. I I believe that when it came in the area, it blew the door open. Just like a SWAT team. The door opens up, you know, and they're all in there like, woo, and instantly fire begins to spread around the room. Tongues of fire, they spoke in what was believed 17 different known languages that were present for the festival that day, and it came in handy because they went out and preached in other people's tongues. The mighty glory of God and the wondrous works of God, they preached to the people. 3,000 people came to the Lord. So I look back on that, and I think about that building. It's just the way I am. I walk through here, and everyone's worshiping. I'm like, wow, those are cool screens up there, and I asked Matt during worship, I said, what are those little kind of bowed things up there? And he said, oh, that's uh, for sound, you know, and I, I just like, I like buildings and I like, uh, I'm very distracted by, you know, when I come into a place and I'm curious about things. Jesus liked to build things too. In fact, he said he would build the church. And the one that he builds is impervious. He puts it at the gates of hell. And the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Gates do not move. We move. Gates get prevailed upon. (laughs) So this church, for whatever reason, in this place is a building. I would stand on this. This is a building selected by God for repurposing. You're in a grocery store. That is now an abiding place of the Holy Spirit. You know that God attaches to place? Place is big in the Bible. Uh, Some people don't think that way. They don't want to think, no, no, it's just people. No, no, there's places. There's places that I've been in the world 
where I stepped off the plane and I felt the presence of God in the country and the soil, like Ireland, Iceland. There's places I went that I didn't feel that. But Ireland, Iceland, Faroe Islands. Italy is totally bliss. It's where heaven kisses earth. I mean, I walked into St. Peter's just a couple months ago. We were there, my wife and I were there in May. We go once or twice a year uh, just for a, a unique international charismatic experience. It's like, it's like a Holy Land Part B. It's Rome and Italy. I mean, go to the Holy Land. Jerusalem is amazing. I love, I love the vibe there. It's just, you know, the history. Jesus walked on these grounds, you know. You go to Rome, and, and you get within 30 feet of Peter's bones. That, that's where he died. He was crucified upside down. You know, there's place. There's something. When we walked into St. Peter's, my wife and I, and there were thousands of people there. The Pope was speaking that day. We just found out. We, we went for a stroll and saw all the security, and I said, boy, something's going on today, man. There's a lot of military out here. It was the Pope. He was going to be speaking. So we hung around for that. I didn't understand a word he said, but the crowd loved it. Oh, they were, they were, there was probably 10, 15,000 people out there in the forum, and, and he came out to his window, and he spoke, you know, it was powerful. He was talking about something about the earth and, and you know, peace and things like that, and, but people were loving it. We were loving it, and then, then they closed the window, and he goes back in, you know, and, but, you know, on there, you could, I mean, you can either, I found this about a lot of things in life, you can either be weird and interpret things as, as religious, or you can sense the goodness of God in the midst of even challenging situations. And so I choose, I usually feel my, you know, my initial gut response is like, eh, man, this feels a little bit religious, you know. But then I walked into St. Peter's, and when we walked in the door, it was a massive door about the size of this room. When you walk into the door, um, I, my wife is right beside me. I walked in, now they're having a service up front with probably 200 people in a seated area up there right around the altar, the high sacred altar up there. But there's thousands of tourists in there. The building is like 16 acres. The building is 16 acres. It took 120 years to build. Two years, I know, is a real challenge. How would you like to be a pastor in that church? <laughs> Are we done yet? <laughs> you die, and then your son goes, Are we done yet? He dies, and it goes on to the next one. He goes, I think we're done. There's three generations that built it. And so when you walk in, you're all by the art, you're all by the floor. The floor took, I don't know, it was 60 years or something like that to just do the floor. You know, it was, it's the, the, the art, the ceramic, the whatever. I mean, it's amazing, you know. And, uh, but we walked in there, and immediately I felt like a curtain of the presence of God just dropped right on me. I, I mean, it was tangible. It was like, oh, oh. And my, I looked at my wife, and she looked at me and said, did you feel that? I said, yes, I did. She goes, what is that? I said, that is the presence of God. And so we started walking around. The vibe was so thick. And now I've been there a number of times. This time especially, it was, I mean, the presence of God was there. So here's my, here's my understanding, which would be very in line with the Celts of the 5th and 6th century, that St. Patrick, that there's, there's certain places that are sacred only because God is there. There's certain things that are sacred because God is there. In fact, some things can 
cannot be sacred, and another thing just like it can be because of your involvement or people's involvement. What makes this building sacred is that you're here and your hearts are in tune with Jesus. And now it's repurposed. You're being repurposed. This is becoming a place of the presence of God and touched by God. I want to read you a scripture out of John 3. John 3, I keep my eye on the time here, John 3. Yeah, I'm almost done, man. Wow, that went fast, 1122. Uh, John 3, look at John 3, John 2, John 2, not John 3. What was that? John 2. On the third day, John 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Remember this? Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine. I saw over here, you had a choice. There's, there's juice or wine. So I get you take the juice, and it probably turns into wine, so you might as well just go right to the wine. But um, on the third day, and the mother of Jesus was there, of course. Mother at a wedding. Well, that's intense. And Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. Wouldn't you like to invite them to your wedding? Wouldn't that be something? I didn't know you knew Jesus. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we're old friends. I love I'll give you 20 bucks later on. <laughs> and when they ran out of wine, that means they were drinking a lot. The mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus says something that's very controversial when you put it into a 21st century context. First of all, he says woman. Let me just tell you something, guys. Never say woman. Okay. <laughs> But this is 2,000 years ago, so we've got to give him grace. <laughs> Actually, if Jesus said it, we should say, you know what, that's Jesus. What would Jesus do? He'd say, woman. <laughs> woman. He said to her, woman. He probably didn't say it that way. He said, woman. What does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come yet. In other words, no. Because he knew the clock would begin to run as soon as he does this miracle. Because controversy is going to rise, things are going to happen. So it's, he's like, I'm enjoying the party. We're here. The disciples are here. Can we just have this moment? So they didn't buy enough wine. Is that my problem? Really, it's not my problem. But she doesn't ask him. She just says, they have no wine. Right. Then his mother says to the servants, not waiting for his response, He's already said, woman, you know, I, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't do this. It's just typical mother, Jewish mother and son. And uh, his mother says to the servants, whatever he says to you, do it. Now, that is something that is really key. In this moment, if there's something that you can, the nectar that you can extract from this passage is that when Jesus is in a room and there's a challenge, uh, Whatever he says to you, do it. So whatever he says to you, what that means is Mary's setting up a forced miracle here because there was hesitancy. But it shows you the power of a mom in the presence of God in the flesh. Now there was sitting there six water pots of stone. According to the manner of purification, they're known to be 20 to 30 gallons per pot. It's pretty big. They're about like that. Or a little higher. 
big clay, ve clay vessels, you know, to hold purification water, which Jews were really uh, big on washing your hands before you ate, eat, washing your hands after you eat, washing utensils, and even washing the table. So you have to have a lot of water to do that. They had six of those water pots that had potentially 30 gallons in each. That's 180 gallons, 108 gallons of water. And so, you know, water's not easy to get in ancient times, particularly in arid countries and things like that. So that water is precious. Use it when needed. Six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purifications of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, fill the water, parts, water pots with water. Now, we don't know how long that took, how much they had in there. But Jesus, you know, they're probably thinking like, oh, he wants to, you know, everyone to wash their hands before we we go any further, you know, or we're going to wash our hands after because we've just eaten. They have no idea what's about to happen. Uh, of course, they heard mom say whatever he says, do, do it, so they're going to do it. They go out and get the, the water and they bring it in. You know, it, they, they, they didn't have hydrating humanity there, so it took a while to get all the water there. And then, and then he, he said, fill them up to the brim. Oh, okay. Okay, we do that. You usually don't do that because then it spills out all over the floor and everything. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. There's always an action that is required of us to bring the miracle that we need in the moment. Always an action. Because it's it, sometimes it's just leaning in, but it's an action. There's something you got to do that said, for this, for this moment, I believe that something is worthy of me listening to this guy telling me to go get the water and now draw out of it and take it to the master. This is really weird because when they drew out of it, it was water. Nobody really knows when it changed. Maybe it changed when it hit their mouths. Wouldn't that have been an act of faith? Like, like you don't want to be embarrassed, so hey, drink some of this. You're like, it's water. No, no, just, just, just taste it. It's water. Taste it. Taste it. The master sent me here. Taste it. And the Bible says right here, it says, uh, they take the master of the feast, and they took it. And when the master of the feast had tasted the water, you hear that? Tasted the water that was made to wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who had drawn the water from the master of the feast called the bridegroom and said to him, every man at the beginning sets out the for the, uh, sits out the good wine first. And when the guests have well drunk, they're not going to know there's bad wine. No, then you bring the, the inferior. That's what it says. You have kept the good wine until now. What did Jesus do? He repurposed water pots. He repurposed water. And he transformed thinking in that first miracle. It's interesting, the first miracle, because Jews would have had a reflective thought about this that we might not. But do you remember what Moses' first miracle was? It was turning water into blood. It speaks about the law. The first one was, was water to blood. The second one in Jesus Christ and his great, enormous crash into this place called earth, brought down like a light, a seed in the womb of Mary, Nine months carried, born in a manger, that Jesus, the king of the universe, 
I mean, he comes into this situation and he's crashing on the scene now, breaking all the rules, repurposing everything and causing some of their religious thoughts and religious thinking to be shaken in such a way that they will never be the same again. I'm telling you, through this people, through this building, God wants to shake Winston-Salem. And so we're asking for the water to be turned to wine. We're asking for a repurposing of this structure. And in this structure, as this structure itself testifies of Jesus Christ, I was once a grocery store, but now I'm a container, a place of habitation for the purposes of God. So you are to be inspired right now to say, I hear that testimony and my life will be the same. Because through your life, you begin to build up these walls. People tell you different things, and you begin to think something that you're really not. Something lesser than. And it takes a miracle to come into your life to snap you out of it. Old folks, over 60, I spoke with you yesterday. Sometimes you get it set in your ways. I don't like that on my Cheerios. Is that that little skinny milk? You mean slim milk? You mean, what are you talking about? 2%? No fat? Yeah, yeah. I don't want that junk. Give me that whole milk. All right. Give you the whole milk. What's going on there? Some kind of weird wall's been built up. You can live on non-fat milk. I know it tastes different, but you can do it. So you build all these walls around. By the time we get in the 70s and 80s, we've locked ourselves. This is who I am. It's what I am. I'll never forget my brother. It's a hilarious story. I'll tell it to you real quick. But my brother, he's such a, uh, uh, what's he may see this. Let me see. Uh, he's an excellent brother. He's as stubborn as can be. He's 74. He lives on a, 32-acre uh, property log cabin, uh, miles outside a small town, surrounded by 5,000 acres of uh, paper pulp mill ground, and uh, he raises mules, and he's a pastor, retired pastor, you know. So anyway, a couple years ago, he, he likes what he eats is what he eats, and he eats it every day all his life. But his kids wanted to go out to an Asian restaurant. So he said, oh, yeah, I don't really want to go, but, you know, I'll go to be the family. So we get out there, you know, and it's exactly the way he talks. And uh, you go out there and he goes, well, you know, what's on the menu here? Do they have any cheeseburgers here? You know, it's not a cheeseburger place. You're going to have to order some. He said, no, I want to. It's got a little American section there on the back, and I, that's going to get me a cheeseburger. Anyway, the waitress comes over, and, and he orders, I forget what it was, but it was, it was, it was Asian. And we're all shocked. There's about 10 of us at the table. They thought, well, I thought you were getting a cheeseburger. No, no. When you're with the Romans, you do as the Romans. I'm going to eat whatever you guys are eating, you know. <laughs> so anyway, they serve him, you know, they serve him. We're getting ready to eat. And all of a sudden, my brother leaps out of the chair. This is in a restaurant. And he starts going around like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, we're sitting there like, and whoa, whoa. He grabs someone's water and he drinks it. And he says, what is in that guacamole? I said, you mean wasabi? <laughs> I took that whole, I said, how much did you eat? I took that whole dollop there and put it over on the, ate that thing, man. My mouth was on fire for five minutes. 
Since then, he orders the cheeseburger. <laughs> so it's not easy to break out of these little <laughs> strongholds that build up in our lives. But I want to tell you something. God wants to repurpose you. He wants to repurpose you out of your own thinking. I'm telling you, you're too limited. I'm speaking in the mirror right now. I say this to myself all the time. Don't think that. That's stupid. It's narrow. It's limited. I mean, we were going on a hike in Italy. We were, we were going to do 32 miles, you know, in a Via Francigena, this ancient Christian trail. You know, it's all a long story, but anyway. So we're getting ready for it. I'm 66 years old. I'm, you know, I'm in decent shape. I'm not the best shape, but I'm, I'm, the government's happy, happy with me. I'm right smack in the middle of the BMI, you know, and so my body mass index is there, and you know, I, I weigh every day, I work out, I walk, I try to do my best, I keep moving, you know, and, and uh, that's a big key as you get older, just keep moving, keep moving, you know, you don't want to stop, you can't get back up if you stop, so you keep, <laughs> keep moving, you know, so I'm in Florida, we have a place in Florida, we were snowbirds, you know, going back and forth from Cleveland, of course, and you know the months that we're there, and uh, we'll go south, and we're in, we're in a little place down there, and uh, he said, you know, we better get ready for Italy. It was like, you know, another month out from there. And he said, we need, to, we need to see if we can walk 10 miles. We need to do 10 to 12 miles a day, you know. So we just need to, we need to test it, you know. So we, we went for a walk. We got a backpack on. We put some stuff in it to weigh it down a little bit, you know. And, and we're just like, you know, we're walking down, you know, the path, uh, the Pinellas Trail there in Pinellas County, and we're walking along, and, and, and uh, we're doing pretty good. Actually, you know, we're staying hydrated, you know, and, you know, we're waving to people, chow, chow, you know, having a good time as we're walking, getting ready to go over to, of course, Florida's pretty flat, and Italy's not. So, you know, there was that. But anyway, we finally got to a place, we were on the, I think it was the 12th mile, and uh, I thought we were going to make it home, but I had to Uber home. So I, I, I learned real quick, like, uh, okay, we, we're going to need to get out of this, this mind lock that I can't do something. In fact, we need to stretch ourselves beyond what we think we can do. I believe this is the purpose of God. I believe that God, regardless of your age, regardless of your limitations, some of them are hard limitations that you can't get around like you used to or whatever it might be. Some of them may be limitations economically, you know, in your life. It kind of doesn't matter because we're talking to the God who turns water into wine just to fulfill a request of his mother. He knows who you are. He knows where you are. And he wants to do great things in your life. I feel like I, I was feeling it during worship. We're in a win window right now of time in the history of this church. And there's this like uh, window that's being held open by God because of your faith to give into this church, support this church, and not and make sure it's not just a Sunday morning church. Amen. It has to be a daily church. That doesn't mean you have to have meetings every day, but there has to be connection. All it has to be a community, and it really does need to be your primary community above your family. Because, you know, we got bros and sisters everywhere, you know, and hey, I, got, I can do this with these guys. I hunt, I bowl, I do whatever I do, you know. You got all of us have our little clubs and things that we get into. I'm kind of in the Mazda club, you know, and I got my little sports car and everything. And, and there's a huge community out there, and we're getting to know one another. It's pretty amazing, you know. But that's not my primary club. This is my primary club. Because this is the most aggravating of all my clubs. It's agitating. 
You're thrust into a community with people. Do you know that scientists say that the church is one of the only places in all of Western society that you get to sing with other people every week? And did you know there's something about singing with other people? The endorphin rates rise rapidly. You feel better just by being together and singing. It is well with my soul. My heart's beating nice. It is well, it is well with my soul. So when you sing together with others, there's something going on. You say, oh man, I had to get up early. The kids were running all over the place. Got the Starbucks, dumped some pink drink on my on my suit coat or whatever, you know, and it's like, it's just so hard. We come here just for 90 minutes and, and it's done. Well, why do we do that? It's so nice outside. See, there's something of a mind lock in our minds. We have to submit that to the Lord and allow him to create a miracle in your mind where you're going to step out of yourself and you're going to step up into a new realm of repurpose. The building is speaking it to us. We're in a limited time right now. In that limited time right now, if we move through that door in faith, this place right here is going to explode. It's going to be multiple services. Don't be afraid of that. We get all these little supernatural, or it's not supernatural, superstitious things about, you know, I don't know who should do that. You ever been to the Pantheon in Rome? The Pantheon in Rome is, an, uh, is a fairly ancient pagan temple. I think it was 320, somewhere around there, that that it became a Christian church. So you go in there, it's got a big round open uh, sunroof. <laughs> it is big circular and it's, and it's set up in a way where when the sun's moving, it would, the sun would highlight different gods, you know, in this building. Well, a Catholic church comes in, uh, takes it over, and now the sun highlights the apostles and Jesus Christ as it moves around, in the, you know, as we move around, uh, as we rotate, as we do whatever we do. Uh, the sunlight comes in there and it's really almost like a compass in his building. Now, you know, there were people at that time like, it was a pagan temple that is staying ground. I mean, Christians can get so weird. God can repurpose anything. And so now for 1,700 years, that has been a Catholic church. I was in it in May. And they were, I mean, you go in there, there's the presence of God. It doesn't matter where you are, who you are, who you're with. I just talked to a guy this week that preached up, up in Columbus, Ohio. He's 26 years old, amazing, moving in amazing miracles. He's seen, uh, I mean, all kinds of incredible distorted diseases in people's lives instantly healed. He's 26 years old, you know. And he was talking to me and he said he came out, he, he was getting ready to go home after a service one night. I'm closing with this. He's getting ready to go home from a service one night and uh, the Lord told him to go to Subway. Does that sound like God, you know? Really? If it was the Lord, he'd say Jimmy John's, you know. Like <laughs> but anyway, he goes across the subway, and it's locked. And he's like, Lord, don't play games with me. You know, I'm just, you knew that this was locked. So he pulls the door, and meanwhile, as he pulled that door, there's, there's a, a gay barge on the street, just uh, two doors down. And six guys stumble out of it. They're stone drunk, you know, and, they, and they, they're partying, they're having a good time, you know, and they, they look over and see him and say, hey, pretty boy, come over here. That's what they said to him. And he's like, uh, you know, Lord, uh, why'd you bring me to Subway? You know, this is, uh, and, and he decided beyond what he really thought he should do, he went over to them. 
and they surrounded him. And when he did, the Lord started giving him words of knowledge. These guys all, I'll tell you a long story short, they all sobered up. They got healed. They came to know Jesus Christ and they were filled with the Holy Spirit on the spot. <laughs> now, most of us in that situation, we go, this isn't God, man. I got to get out of here. You know, this is not, this is not a good situation. You know, I, I, you know, what do I do? Why did I come over here? You know, do, hey, sir, help me out. Somebody, anybody there? You know, you, you'd be freaking out. It was a bad part of town and everything else. But you know what? God is into repurposing. Let's all stand together if we could. <clears throat> Matt's going to come up here in just a second. Give me a second, Matt, just to... Oh, man, I, there's so much I missed here. So I, I had like a three-hour sermon that I had to do in a half an hour. It, uh, Isaiah 58 says, uh, those among you are going to rebuild all waste places. Raise up foundations. You're going to be repair the breach and restore the streets to dwell in. That's Isaiah 58. Isaiah 61 says this. He gives beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. For they shall rebuild old ruins, raise up former desolations, repair ruined cities, desolation of many generations. It's the call of God on our life. I just want to, I, I want to close with this, that God wants to flip your life right now. Think of a, let me just close your eyes just for a moment. It's not a trick. No one's going to take your money or anything like that. Just close your eyes for a moment, though, and think about it. What, what is the thing that you feel you're limited in? You say, oh, you know, I, I, I don't sing. I really can't sing. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm bound in this $12 an hour, $15 hour, dollar an hour job. Am I ever going to be able to break out of that, you know? And, you know, I, I, I can't, I, I'm 30 years old, and I'm not married, and I want to be married. I want to have a family, but, you know, I don't know what to do. Do I go on Tinder? Do I, what, what, what do I do, eHarmony? Well, I think I, th I think that went off the edges somewhere. But anyway, I, I, Lord, what do I do? What do I do? I'm telling you, those limitations right now, the Lord wants to take that and convert it into something that is not blood, that is not anguish, that is not fear, but it's wine. It's the sweetness of the kingdom of God. He wants, he loves you so much. He wants to turn your water into wine. If you will seek first the kingdom of God, I'm telling you, this is scripture. It is reality. It is true. All these other things will be added to you. And so let me just pray for you right now. And if you're in this room and you do not know Jesus Christ, where have you been? The Bible says that today is the day of salvation. If you do not know Jesus and you're not assured in your heart, the Bible says in the book of 1 John that you can be sure that you know. Jesus, that you know God. Before you leave today, I encourage you to come up front, talk to one of us. Do we have ministry teams or anyone? Uh, okay, yeah, there'll be ministry teams up here. Okay, over here, over on my left, I guess, and your right. Uh, you go up to them, just say, I want to know Jesus. That's all you have to say. I want to know Jesus, like the thief on the cross. Hey, remember me when you come into your kingdom. That's it. And they're going to pray for you. And we're going to see many people today come into the kingdom of God out of religion, because that's a, that's a binding wall into relationship with Jesus Christ. The rest of you I want to pray for right now that the Spirit of God has, has done surgery on thinking today and that limitations can be offered to the Lord and he will look at that and turn water into wine. Lord, we bless it right now that in this room we have the repair, repairs of the breach, restores 
of the street to walk in, Lord. I ask, Lord, I, I just feel, I feel it in my left forearm right now. I feel this heavy anointing that's coming upon this church that is going to be shocking to many of you, old, middle-aged, and young. You will have not have seen anything like this in your entire life. Matt is going to be astonished. It's going to be above his pay grade. It's like out of, it's going to be out of control. It's out of control. I saw three different services in this church. That means, what do we see here? I think 700 if you get it full. 700, so that's 714, 2,000 people. 2,000 people, it's not impossible. There's other churches in this city that large. We're not going after large, we're going after souls. We do count them. We believe that if heaven rejoices over them, we will too. But God wants to do something way bigger. You go, oh, it's gonna be uncomfortable. I may not be able to get a seat. That's a mindset that needs to come down. Lord's looking upon this place, this grocery store, and he's saying it's time for produce. This grocery store is time to produce something. It's time to be a place where people come to be fed. It's time to be a place where people come and search because they are hungry. This is the Lord's grocery store. He has retooled it now to be an embodiment of the presence of God. It is a place touched by God for whatever reason. Maybe two old ladies back in 1980 prayed over this building. I don't know. But something happened, and we're here, and we're going to do what God's called us to do. So I pray right now across this room, there'll be a release of faith. And even more than that, I ask for a release of compassion to come upon this whole crowd, Lord. We would get a heart for Winston-Salem. We say, God, take this city for you. May it be a shining light, Lord God, in the midst of darkness. And every person in this room, may they carry the light of Christ. Jesus Christ, everywhere they go, and may when they encounter water, may they turn it into wine by the power of the Lord Jesus Christ. Every situation, they're the sweetness coming into it. They're the transformational power. They are the fragrance of Christ in every dull room, and we bless it right now in business, in school, in walking, in everything they put their hand to, Lord God. Come and power upon them in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to today's message. For updates on future episodes, make sure to subscribe to our podcast and leave us a review to let us know how we're doing. For more information about Awake Church, visit awakechurch.com.